0: Okay, ready?
1: This is it, this is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association.
0: Pineapples don't grow in Michigan.
1: No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're gonna have some good guests.
0: What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan?
1: We can edit this if that's not right, right? Well, a disclaimer to our many great What's With Upon Apple podcast listeners. We had some audio issues in the first half of the interview. Stay with us. The content's really good. Just kick up the volume a little bit. And then the back half, our interview with Paul Hess is uh, unaffected. We'll come through in great quality, and it's a great interview, so stay tuned. All right, starting the new
2: year, starting 2023 with some
3: pretty big news. Well, for the first time, I'm happy to report that the news came as we were walking over here to record the markets, as opposed to recording the podcast and some sort of large breaking news happening the day after. So, yeah, yesterday, the, Thursday, the 26th, we were halfway from our office to where we recorded this podcast. But uh, we're here at Rest Strategies. Uh, Joe.
4: Thanks for the plug.
3: Uh, and they got the news, they got the call from our attorneys uh, that, that the Court of Appeals had made a ruling, something we've talked about on this podcast nauseam and every line of communication that we have, we got a unanimous 3 to 0 ruling out of the Court of Appeals, citing that what the legislature did all the way back in 2018 was constitutional. We could go into a long description of what that is, but what it basically means is the status quo for restaurants holds, carries forward, at least for the foreseeable future, uh, there will be no dramatic change to the minimum wage or loss of the tip credit uh, on February 19th, all which was in the potential off of this ruling had gone the other way. So Thursday ended up being a you know, pretty positive day for the industry.
2: It was a good day, a uh, tremendous win for the industry. And uh, yeah, I just walking over here and you getting the call, and I just hear you go, three zero, And I was like, which way? <laughs> So that was uh, that was a pretty cool moment. On the fly we had to tell Joe we were not So thank you to Joe for the flexibility. Um and then we quickly got the alerts out and you started doing media and for for a good thing
3: Yeah, a lot of a lot of TV and the day I didn't shave, so that wasn't an ideal, but that's okay. It does not matter. Uh uh we uh frankly recording this Friday, I thought today was targeted in the twenty-seventh most likely. Mm-hmm came on the 26th uh, so but it was good we were pretty prepared I think we were first out of the gate several people telling us they heard from us before they heard from anyone so that was good and when you have good news you want to. absolutely so uh,
2: really quickly what's next for this process
3: so most importantly that February 19th deadline is dead right no one has to fear that date coming as a date that they're going to have to make dramatic business changes uh, business model changes uh, February nineteenth, it'll be a day like any other. Uh, so now, what comes next is a plausible, and likely appeal by the plaintiffs in this case uh, to the Supreme Court, and we'll see if the Supreme Court takes that. Uh, it'll be we'll, we'll be watching that closely. The Supreme Court likely will not need to make a decision quickly on this; they have all the way, frankly, until they're going to recess at the end of July to make a decision. So we might not know for a while. Whether or not they want to take a hearing on this, uh, it's unlikely to be uh, what they call expedited, like it has to be done quickly in an emergency type setting, uh, because we have a status quo wage. There's nothing pending and hanging over like that February 19th date was. Frankly, if things had gone the other way, uh, so we're we're gonna we're gonna sit back and watch and wait and see what what the Supreme Court chooses to do, whether or not they take an appeal. I I would be surprised. I'm not an attorney, but it was such a definitive three to zero ruling. With concurrences written by each of the other two uh, justices involved, that it really there's not a whole lot of oxygen to make an argument to the alternative. So, but again, not an attorney. Well, they want to pretend that I can make a decision for the Supreme Court, but uh, it's it's about as positive a ruling for this industry as one that could have
2: hoped for, frankly, out of the Court of Appeals. Yeah, best best case scenario. Um, and just. For people that aren't in the trenches on the legal details, the Michigan Supreme Court does not have to decide to take it up at all and just the ruling as it stands, correct? That's correct. What do
3: you think, Jody? we need to cover I think you got it. I think you got it.
2: Okay, we do have to say, um, new this year for the podcast is that we have quarterly sponsors that are the presenting sponsors of What's With the Pineapple podcast. So. This episode and all the episodes for this quarter will be presented to you by the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Fund, better known as the MRL.
3: Oh, nice. What is the Emerald
2: You will find out more about that later in the episode when I do an interview
3: for them. Oh, it's a hook. That's nice. I like that. Great partner. Maybe our best partner. Uh, I'm glad that they are engaged and hopefully listeners uh, I have something to gain from them as well.
2: All right, moving into current events, Pineapple Express, we are at the beginning of the new year. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about trend predictions for the industry. You're very right, trendy. Thank you. Um, so one that is actually not on our outline, but I want to talk about Lansing Shuffle here locally. in Lansing opened, They did their grand opening last night. It's been a long time coming, I think. They started their plans pre-pandemic, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, huge, huge renovation, completely different concept. Um, it's a food hall. So it's, I think they have seven or eight total food stations. Vendors rent them out and it's a way cooler food court with a lot to do. So their, their shuffleboard component, their gaming component is not open yet, but they did have their grand opening of crew from Team MRL last night. Um, and it's awesome. It's gonna be a great benefit locally for
3: Lansing. Same ownership as Detroit Shipping Company, which is which was very innovative and early on into that concept in Detroit. Next up, that's a callback.
2: Um but I, I think that's interesting to track that trend of of food halls. There's not a ton in Michigan, yes. but I think that popping you know, up more and more with labor issues and just the concept again. It's interesting. I highly suggest that one go out to the chuckle. Next up, um, craft soft drinks and non-alcoholic drinks have been growing appeal for the hospitality industry and You've
3: been in on this for a long
2: time. Long time. Actually, I actually will say years ago I wanted to write an article about this for our magazine. And I have to put this out,
3: but Justin said it wasn't right relevant. It was relevant. I said that big partners who are in the uh, the adult beverage space, uh, we want to make sure that they have plenty of purchase uh, with with our members. And frankly, and this is what I'm eager to talk about, because I am into the I'm into the craft non-alcoholic drink concept. Can you make the same kind of margins from from this custom drink that you can these custom drinks that you can from alcohol? Because for so many restaurants, it is that liquor license that is bringing the kind of margins that are keeping your doors open and keeping your people employed, right? So I am not anti anti alcohol. Okay. From the negative Um, but I want to make sure that it's you it, it can still be useful and beneficial as an offer for, for the restaurant in way that
2: it's profitable. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I think when it comes to non-alcoholic beers or uh, mocktails are all the rage. Last night at Lansing Shuffle, they had a whole menu just for mocktails, which is interesting, shows that this is something to showcase. Um, in terms of the craft soft drink market, I'm not sure there's a – as much markup available um, to what you're saying. I don't have data on that yet, but I can tell you that um, in August 2021, it was reported that 60% of American adults say they drink alcohol, which was down from 65% in 2019. It's um, 60%. is the number 21%. Right um <laughs> We were just friends. Um, but the, it's the lowest level since 2012.
3: Let me ask you this: Does bubble tea fit into this category? I think yes, because I think that's blowing up all over the country. And I didn't fully understand it until they had it on the menu at one of the restaurants we went to, and the whole family went out. And the kids ordered one. I'm like, yeah, sure. let's each get one of these, and they went bananas for it. They love bubble tea. I want to go to a specific bubble tea place every day. And also, they realized that they were eight dollars. Right. Eight dollars per drink. So I just dropped twenty four dollars for my kids to have some uh some tea with bubbles in it. Uh yeah. they love it. It's clearly uh a market for the Gen Z and whatever is after Gen Z if such a thing exists. it is yeah. So yeah, I see the opportunity in the upside there, especially for tea and, and have real demand. It's so, a future yeah.
2: But I think the non alcoholic beers, you know, you're still paying six bucks for one and you're not questioning it. Um, and I'm questioning it. The, the market uh, has exploded. Just there's so many options now for non alcoholic beers in the craft space. It grew 31% from 2020 to 2021. So. There you go. So what I'm really saying is I was right five years ago when I wanted to. Drink.
3: Well, this is a story about trends. You were early, even
2: before the trend.
3: So... Who Kudos
2: Who to you. Food halls everywhere pretty soon. Okay, HLA, American Hotel Lodging Association, released its hotel booking index for 2023 uh, with its overall travel outlook and things are looking pretty good for hotels. Tell me more. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> 60% of Americans uh, report that they're likely to stay in hotels this year compared to uh, 2022. Um, hotels are the top lodging choice. So, we're seeing people trending away. I think we talked about this a little bit in our last episode, but they're trending away from those short term rental options um, because they would really be low. they you love. I mean, the things to do. And I mean, people are turned off by the of extra fees that come up with that. Um, and are will more into the hospitality concept of staying in a hotel. Let
3: me give some local data. Go for it. Great story on NY uh the other day, uh, focusing more on uh, and and other communities seeking a balance on short term. Basically, a societal issue that requires multiple perspectives. No matter where you are, uh, in what industry, or or frankly, if you're just a a resident, uh, what perspective you have on this issue. But to a 10 county area around Traverse Cities and Grand Traverse, and then surrounding cities of all rooms. Uh, last summer eighty two percent were in hotels and it's still despite a lot of growth in that area uh in in short term rental uh what we're seeing is a lot more regulation because they feel eighty two percent is uh the the hotels still going to play forever more critical role they might not have uh percent eighty percent still
2: yeah, it's really interesting. It pans out, um, especially in summer when uh, the sunshine hopefully comes back to the state. What's next? Pineapple plaudits.
3: Oh, the best.
2: Your favorite segment.
3: What's going on in Pineapple plaudits this week?
2: Um, Experience Garden President and CEO Doug Small received a Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, MRLA really Board Member. Yes, absolutely. Um, he received this award at the West Michigan Hotel District Food and Beverage Industry Awards um, earlier this month, which that was also his contract. uh Very well deserved for Doug. He's a great partner to the association and advocate for this industry.
3: Yeah, he's nice. Uh, Doug is smart, creative, innovative. He's done a lot of uh, impressive things in Grand Rapids, taking it to where it is today. Uh, well deserved award. Kudos to you, Doug Smalley. You just earned a pineapple bucket.
2: It's yes. <laughs> interesting experience. He worked at the uh, Palm Springs CBB, which I think
3: would be really interesting. Who leaves the Palm Springs CBB? I mean, oh, do respect Grand Rapids, great town. And
2: then he went to New York, and then Denver, and then Grand Rapids, So, Great towns. All right, next up, uh, the Vault Hotel. Oh,
3: we're bringing the Vault into this all the way in Oden. Eight hours away from where we are right now, one of the coolest places in all of Michigan. The Ball Hotel. Okay, tell me more. Very cool.
2: Um, their bartender, Colin Pedrick. I hope I'm saying that last name right. Um, was named in the United States Bartenders Guild's World Class Bartenders Competition. Uh, made it into the top 100. And uh, next up, he will compete for the top 30, which will be awarded in February. And the long game here is that he could be named. Uh,
3: the U.S. 2023 world-class U.S. bartender of the year. And then could go to the world finals in Brazil. I'll be there for to I want to challenge you your mind. But there, uh, I'm so excited you brought the ball to play here. I love that place. I love the owners uh, of that place as well. We went up there as a family two summers ago, 2021. Uh got to stay there and once the family... Uh, I was comfortable and in, in bed in the hotel that night. They have a speakeasy in the basement. So the vault, if you don't know it, is it is called the vault because it used to be a a bank in in Houghton, all the way up in the Cleveland Peninsula of the UP, uh, and it's been retrofitted to be a very chic hotel. It's very cool, and in the basement, and you feel like you feel the age of the space that you're in. They have a speakeasy, but it is so cool. I loved it there. I was, I mean. I'm just, I got to drinking by myself, frankly. Uh, and it was fine because it's such a cool place to be. And the cocktails were uh, expertly made. And I kind of wanted to come on.
2: Colin might have been here at Bartender back like then. It's, it's possible.
3: possible. It's possible. He did a fantastic job at the was College. I,
2: I want think. to get there. I have not been there. I followed him on Instagram.
3: Wonderful. Just eight short hours away.
2: I to get to the UP.
3: I, it's, I, it's I mean, listen, Houghton is. Maybe not plan A for, for UMAE you E to the U B. Uh, start start easy, but uh, you need to make sure
2: oil. So. Absolutely. All right, moving forward to my favorite segment, mostly just because of the name. For Fork's sake, our government affairs update segment. Um, other than what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, uh, the state of the state happens this week as well. Now, it
3: was two days ago. It feels like it was a hundred years ago. Yeah, governor Dave, uh heard her state of the state address uh on Wednesday. Uh I thought she came across exceedingly comfortable and confident in, in how she presented herself. And it was um it was first and foremost an attempt at a unifying speech. Um it's a different environment than Lansing First time Democrats have been in control of, of everything in forty years. Uh so you could have seen her come out guns blazing how uh, what she was going to do, but I thought what you heard was a uh, uh, reach across the aisle and attempt to be uh, bipartisan. I thought there were a lot of encouraging things in there. There was a, a big focus on workforce development, something that we are, are in, <laughs> very focused on in the association, so it was good to hear a renewed commitment and some new ideas uh, around that. One of the angles was... Uh, Free preschool for four-year-olds, and you know, we—I think—we've spoken on this podcast more than once about some of the challenges for our workforce coming out of the pandemic. Where this this is a disproportionately female uh, workforce, more than the workforce overall average, and it struggled, and this industry, industry struggled during, especially during COVID, to uh, have people have the wherewithal to be able to work when kids were not in school, and and even still, it is holding back the opportunity for more people. In this industry so that is a proposal we're going to be keenly interested in learning more about there were not a lot of details on wednesday about it but something uh you could you could at least theoretically assuming it's not going to cost so much that it's you know sending ourselves up for tax increases for our business operators uh but something that we would we would be supportive of uh as this helpful uh to the industry uh which you didn't hear were some of the more controversial things uh like right to work uh, we would see that front and center but we didn't uh, and very little talk of uh, of organized labor and unions, so as something that's impacted in this industry more than it ever has in the this, So uh, all in all I thought a, a pretty good speech. The one thing I would say is you're putting a lot of trust and faith when you when you lead and compare yourself to the future lines. <laughs> It's a great team. I'm more excited about this team since the uh, since the one baby in the early nineties when they were last frankly winning the playoff game. Uh, but it's tough. <laughs> it's a risky, it's a risky political move to put to your political future in the hands of, of the Detroit Lions. But grit. Grit. Nice about the too. Uh,
2: the only other thing that stood out to me through Rose this State was she specifically in the vein of workforce development, uh, talked about going for a talent funds, which is something that uh, we have really focused on like, the association for our industry and making them more aware of what that is,
4: um, um,
2: how to access it and that despite bias or common ways of thinking, our industry is a skilled trade. Um so more work to do there. That, that's that's to for me during the speech.
3: Yeah we are this year fifty five million dollars for going to use the US employer to trade and elevate your current staff uh, and, and have going pro pay for that elevation. We went out of our way as an association to create our own training institute called HTIM, Hospitality Training Institute of Michigan. The TIM. The TIM. HTIM. So you can get some of that training and elevate your team, especially your management team, uh, and and, uh, going pro essentially pay for it. That's a big big focus and push for us as an association to help this industry get its workforce where it needs to be we got a long way to go. Last year, we, we represent about 10% of the workforce. Last year, we took about, we as an industry took about 1% of the Going Pro funds. We need to do a better job of that. Uh, that's, that's on us as an association. That's on you as an industry. You guys need to actually apply for these dollars, and we are here to help you do that. So reach out to us uh, at the MRLA any day. All right, last up in this section, we have uh, the
2: National Guard. Which is something that's been on our radar internally, and we've talked about it a few times, um, probably on this podcast. But it's been our on our radar for a while. But in the news, just the last few weeks, I feel like it's blowing up on a no <laughs> uh, on a bigger scale. I'm seeing a lot more coverage uh, across the country, and so I thought it would be uh, timely and relevant to talk about here what is going on.
3: Is your still killing you? Maybe. This reminds me a few years ago of like <laughs> one of the stories of is your cat killing you? Uh, it's something about trans and just having a cat who are more likely to see. probably not a cat person, so yeah.
2: uh,
3: but I don't want to, I don't want to hate, on that. not
2: know
3: that I stand by you. We know. It's not, it's not, it's, this has become an issue, and I just think it's coincidental timing, I'm sure, that gas deals are killing you just as our efforts, but we're staying frankly, in On Arbor, to ban natural gas hookups to anything going forward. So that is residential and commercial. We've talked about this in the past. Almost all the restaurants operate on natural gas, and especially those who have high-end homes produced produce fine dining needs the ability to have natural gas domes. They can't conceive of and I don't think you were going to uh within an alternative and really enjoy the experience. I can't think of a city that has that more, frankly, than Ann Arbor. Huge restaurant town, great restaurant town, some of the best restaurants in the state. both to in So uh, that's something we're focused on. I know mean, yeah. you said this is the last one. I've got a couple of add ons. We've got a couple of walk ons because there's so much legislation moving. We
2: did
3: not talk about this before the, before right. recording. All right, HB4035 4, 4, is the new one. Predictive scheduling mandate. What is that? Yeah, it's literally targeted just at this industry. Hospitality and so lodging Listen enough as well, this is you. You need to put schedules out. Should this law, should this bill that has been introduced become law, you would have to make your you would have to set schedules for your employees at least two weeks in advance, and you cannot change them. And if you do, inside of that two week period, there are penalty payments that you have to make to that employee for inconveniencing, uh for inconveniencing them on your own schedule. And I there's this has only been implemented in one state that it hasn't really done very well, the state of Oregon. And it's because this industry thrives on flexibility. You know, we talked about picture major sporting events, the spring alliance of great Let's say the Lions make the playoffs, and all of a sudden, everywhere in downtown Detroit is packed. But they didn't know whether this was going to be well enough in advance, so they aren't staffed properly, so they're going to have to pay a massive penalty to try to meet the demand. Uh, this could happen in, in a variety of ways, not all sports-related either. And so it's, it's really impractical. I grasp the idea of trying to look out for employees and make sure that they can have a predictable uh Schedule the this, plan. This is a usually a two-way street, uh and especially if the worker has more uh more cachet right now, more leverage over their employer than they, they have in, in a long, long time. Uh, and so, if there's an employer out there that's not really treating their employees fairly, on this, side, they definitely have to do this. So, and this is definitely wrong, Bill,
2: and definitely Yeah, I just a couple comments on that. I think that. Uh, the, a server, for example, appreciates when if you know, if this took a turn, you know, it's going to be slow. Like, I don't want to sit around when it's slow anyway. So, I don't know. I think
3: that I've the two ways. Another one unemployment benefits right now are, are 20 weeks in length. That's a law that was changed back in 2011. Uh, Bill introduced this week to extend them to 26 weeks. Uh, so, if you have an employee apply for and earn unemployment benefits, uh, you as an employee would be on six versus 20 weeks uh, also just introduced not necessarily going through the system we'll be watching it closely so yeah no guarantee that any, any of this happen or
2: the timeline of any introduced and
3: something on our radar these are both introduced by people in the majority and we're in the majority uh you have the ability to at least get a hearing you want to have the ability to get a hearing possibly about if things start moving forward and, and you know adversity starts taking place procedures that
2: everyone's not doing Always Security.
3: understanding that. okay. okay. anything else for um, for sake? Not our state of California, uh, one that's been following actually the last, the last thing to happen uh, is that the state of California uh, validated the number of signatures submitted uh, by a group called state and local restaurants coalition that includes the national restaurant restaurant association uh, the international franchise association and others collected signatures to create a referendum for that, that, that. which basically means it's going to go before voters not until 2024. so the FAST Act will not be incorporated into law uh, or implemented into law before voters have a chance to decide whether they want to see this law implemented and that won't happen so some breathing room for the industry uh, as, as this gets sorted out a very expensive campaign being built out in California and this has implications uh, in Michigan Michigan is viewed as one of the four or five states that that, that FAST Act is most likely to go to next uh, with, a, with a strong uh, organized labor uh, contingent here in Michigan and frankly the fact that the city of Detroit passed something similar uh, all the way back year and a half ago and I think our very first podcast we ever did uh, we talked about how the city of Detroit has had surprisingly out of the blue just passed a fast act, something very similar to the fast day in the city. And something really cheap. So
2: there you go. Dee-dee-dee. Dee-dee-dee.
0: The Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Fund, commonly referred to as the MRL Fund, is your association's premier benefit offering. This successful self-insured program was established in 1992 to help members control their long-term workers' compensation costs. Owned and operated by its members, the MRL Fund offers the same protection as an insurance company, but with many unique benefits and savings not available elsewhere. With industry-specific claims management and lower expenses, the fund passes the savings back to its members. The MRL fund has returned $107 million back to its members since its inception, with over $7.4 million returned in 2023. This represents a 48% average return back, which is a substantial savings. The MRL Fund offers its members numerous loss prevention resources and loss control programs that are specific to the hospitality industry. This training has a strong focus on creating a safety, culture in the workplace by educating owners and supervisors on ways to prevent accidents and keep their employees free of injury. For most members, the substantial savings is the primary reason why they insure with the MRL Fund. It has proven to dramatically reduce the overall costs of their workers' compensation insurance year after year. The MRL Fund is available to both large and small hospitality operators in Michigan. For more information, contact the MRL Fund at 800-686-6640 or visit mrlfund.org. Paul Hess is the co-owner and director of operations of Epic Hospitality, a premier management company that specializes in catering venue management, private club management, and both casual and fine dining restaurants. Hess is currently the chairman of the MRLA and will soon become the immediate past chairman of the board of directors after generously serving two consecutive years as chairman. Hess started in the industry seeking to earn extra money while studying computer programming at Eastern Michigan University. He began his career as a bartender at Jonathan B. Pub, located in Dearborn's Fairlane Town Center. It was this first experience and the magic behind the bar that turned a part-time job into a lifelong career. After a brief six-month hiatus after graduation, Hess rejoined the team as the brand was expanding and entering the age of technology. What started as one location became 10, and Hess would eventually join owner John Baja and his sons as an official partner. In 2000, Hess joined Epic Hospitality Group owned by the Wisney family, which owned an array of hospitality ventures including nationally acclaimed restaurant Tribute, described by the New York Times and Wall Street Journal as the finest restaurant between Chicago and New York. Hess would eventually purchase Epic Hospitality with his business partner and focus on catering and venue management. Today, their book of exclusive contracts and partnerships is filled with some of Michigan's most significant venues, such as Suburban Collection Showplace, Meadowbrook Hall, Oakland University, and many more. From his first day in the industry, Paul's wife, Sue, has been his inspiration and his hero. Together, they raised four children, and his favorite titles are still Dad and Grandpa.
1: Paul Hess, welcome to What's With the Pineapple Podcast. Thanks for being our
4: guest today. Glad to be here. Thank you, Justin. Good to talk with you. How's everything? How's your day going?
1: Talking multiple times every day anyways. This is just in a slightly more formal approach, but but barely more formal, frankly.
4: <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, I know. It, it, the, uh, uh, the conversations we've had over uh, the last couple of days have been good ones, though, to say the least. So it's a great day for, uh, for uh, our association and our industry, for sure.
0: Props to Paul, too, for uh, we had to reschedule his interview from yesterday because we got the news for the industry on our way over here so thank you for your flexibility on that i'm sure it was a welcomed uh change in schedule
4: yeah low priority here so uh definitely <laughs> glad glad to uh, glad to reschedule great reason to reschedule
1: well we'll keep this Loose and conversational, but we've got a a framework of a couple questions. Emily's going to ask the first one, and feel free to just say, "Mm, "I don't want to answer that one." Here's what I want to answer. But Emily's going (laughs) to at least tee off the first question.
4: Yeah, you betcha.
0: We do have the ability to edit, which is a good one. Very nice. So I guess I I have a first question here, but I kind of want to skip to the second one to start off, if that's okay, because it's we are we read your bio, and I feel like that eases us into it, but. You know, you started going to college for computer programming and things like that. And it was your experience as a bartender that really made you want to have a permanent career. So was there a moment in the earlier part working in the hospitality industry that triggered that for you where you said, I actually want to build a career in this industry, not in the computer programming portion necessarily?
4: Yeah, the, you know what, Emily? It's a great question. Coincidentally, I just had a conversation yesterday uh, with some of our team members because one of our properties is on the campus of Oakland University. So huh. we have a lot of students working for us, and uh, uh, you know, making their way through college and and paying their own, uh, their own expenses or uh, helping to pay their own expenses. And um, we've been having a lot of conversations uh, recently uh, with them about their continuation in the hospitality uh, in the hospitality industry so they you know they may be majoring in business and or some may be undecided or some are heading towards uh, nursing school or whatever their major may be and i and i asked them have you ever considered continuing on in in hospitality and um utilizing your major uh at the same time you recognizing you can go in, you know so many directions you know uh, look at the two of you for example so uh, you know uh, marketing is uh, is uh, an opportunity through hospitality it is an opportunity hr is an opportunity so i think sometimes uh, when we're young and we uh, we get going and, and we're in in uh in our role as a server or maybe it's a busser maybe we're in the kitchen uh maybe we're bartending we see that as you know the ultimate and the dead end i guess in what we're doing and uh we don't think about all the uh, all the opportunities so in this conversation i started talking with people and they uh they said yeah i love hospitality but i never thought of it that way well that that was me in 1982 so uh, was working hard you know, got through college five and a half years to uh, uh, to work my way through that. Um, thought my future was in coding and computer programming, which was much different then than that it is now. But um, so I went to work. And uh, after six months of coding and being bored out of my mind, I think <laughs> I came to the realization uh, this isn't uh, for me. I really love what I was doing but couldn't figure out how to backtrack and, and get back in. Coincidentally, uh, the gentleman that owned our company called and said, uh, hey, we're trying to put together this um, this back of the house program, and utilize this piece of technology, it's called a POS system. <laughs> so that might give you an indication of how long ago it was uh, because we were using cash registers like everyone else was at the time so that was my opportunity and that was the moment that i remember while wow, i can take what i've worked for through college and combine it with what i love to do in hospitality and kind of the rest was history after that i eventually became a, a partner with uh, with those guys and um, 10 years later we had uh, a dozen restaurants and as i said the rest was the rest was history so it was kind of at that moment, about six months after I left hospitality to, to pursue my career uh, as a computer programmer, things kind of, the, the switch flipped and things opened up to me and been at it ever since.
1: Hospitality industry is savior. Not many people say yeah. I could have been a tech giant, but I, but I, I, I chose to pursue a career in hospitality, but I, I think it's been worthwhile. You have proven that it is entirely possible and to do so really successfully throughout that time. A lot has changed during that time. I mean, that, that, that brand that you worked in early on is a mall-based, wasn't that a mall-based uh, restaurant group as well? Like the, you just don't see a whole lot of that anymore either.
4: Yeah. We, and the funny thing was back then we were, uh, I think the first or amongst the first uh, in Michigan to, uh, to do that. Yeah. It was a, they were uh, really upscale, cool little pubs. It was the, the name of the, the, uh, operation was Jonathan B pub. And we had a great 25 year run and, uh, it was family owned business. So various family members decided to go their own ways after that many years, but, uh, lots of uh, learning opportunities, uh, lots of growth and um, and a whole lot of fun. Now, I will <laughs> I will say Justin when you said tech giant that's inter- that's interesting. I will say that there have been days since that since that day 40 some years ago that I've scratched my head and wondered, what if I'd just stuck with tech? <laughs> but, <laughs> There's
1: no future in coding. <laughs> There's
4: no future in coding.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, let me transition here because we really wanted to feature, you have been a two-year chair at a time that feels like it could have been, it, it probably felt several times to you like it was 20 years. You started, you became chair of this association at the very beginning of our 100th anniversary at the beginning of 2021. Your your coronation was one that was online uh, where we did a Zoom meeting and not our traditional chairman's dinner uh, where we transition And- Restaurants at that time were still closed, right? And closed until February 1st, 2021. And it's amazing to think you were chair then, And everything that has happened from slowly reopening to um, to finally getting away from restrictions and fully reopening to massive amounts of inflation and and all kinds of wild things happening in the industry to another ballot proposal to uh, what we're talking about today with a court ruling around a major court case and everything in between, it has been a wild two years. What the hell were you thinking when you agreed to become chair of this association did you ever think you were in for this wild ride uh and, and for that that action-packed
4: two years well you know i don't i don't think any of us could have, uh, ever have imagined th- that ride being what it was but uh you know by that time honestly i was all in i was fo- i was following andy you know and andy french did such a great job getting us through uh that first several months and and trying to figure things out and sort things out as we all were, and uh, by that time I was just kind of following. Okay, what what's the mission of the association? What are we What are we trying to accomplish here? What can we still accomplish despite the challenges? And um, you know, kind of taking the approach: How can I serve? How can I help? And coming up to that first day. When we uh, when the, uh, the Andy handled the, handed the gavel over, I was doing a little prep work and thinking of what I wanted to say to the group uh, despite the you know the challenges that we were that we were all facing together and doing a little studying a little history and looking back a hundred years ago, I said, geez, you know this, this isn't this coincidental in a uh, hundred years ago, our nation was undergoing and just coming out of a, a worldwide pandemic. The economy was in shambles. The political uh, atmosphere, um, the political environment was, it wasn't was much differently than it was uh, in early 2021, but not much differently than it is today. And so I thought, you know, what, uh, what everybody did back then was they rallied and, and that became known as the Roaring Twenties. And it was the the beginning of a, a boom for our industry and a, a boom for our economy and for our country. So rather than taking, you know, the, the glass is half empty approach, I said, you know what, let's just let's try and remain optimistic in working with uh, you guys in Lansing, what you've done, the whole team there, everybody on the board, the, the executive committee, uh, everybody just kind of, you know, uh, grabbed themselves by the bootstraps and said, we're going to figure this thing out together. And we did. So I don't know that I I, I didn't have a written game plan. That's for sure. But just choosing to uh, serve and to remain optimistic, I think, is what what the uh, important mindset was at that time, for me, anyway, personally.
1: Well, I think we accomplished an awful lot uh, over that time, over your tenure. And your positive attitude helped keep us as staff afloat because it got challenging. But let me ask you this follow-up because there was a lot of angst and there was a lot of frustration over prolonged. This is, you, you started during the second shutdown of restaurants when you're seeing other States around the country opening and, and starting to thrive again, that we were all the way back at ground zero. And a lot of people, when you're the chair, a lot of people, they're, they're going to you, they're asking questions, they're, they're pushing on you. And that's a lot of pressure uh, on both sides of, of what should be done in the wake of that. And, you know, and, and you were a man in your own right with a worldview and a perspective, how did you manage all of of that in in a way that from the outside came across as stoic leadership uh, and balanced and uh, helped guide you know a, a lot of varying views and frustrated people through a challenging time together and 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 kept us united. How how did you manage that? Because that that was that wasn't an easy task.
4: Yeah, you know, well, after firing two therapists and going to the third. <laughs> No, no, really. I think how I managed it, Justin, was just to stay engaged with people because it's certainly for all of us. It it was it was as frustrating as it it could be. We the decisions that were being made in Lansing at times were uh, just left all of us scratching our head when we looked at what other states were doing, as you mentioned, and it was just day after day of uh, uh, talking with our. our team, the board members, restaurant owners, the hotel owners, uh, and, and just continuously staying engaged with people uh, in conversation, and we were kind of uh, uh, provided a therapy of sorts uh, for ourselves. We were encouraging each other and telling each other to hang in there. I remember there were a few uh, cocktail hour Zoom meetings that uh, we we sat around seven, eight, nine nine o'clock, even into 10 o'clock in, in the evening and just bounced ideas off of each other and encouraged each other and, and uh, supported each other. I recall a few times, if I'm not mistaken, where uh, you're asking me the question funny um, that uh, I think you talked me off the ledge a couple of times uh, yourself <laughs> because uh,
1: I was it, that third therapist.
4: <laughs> it, yeah, you were. It, it was frustrating, but again, but it
1: went both I think, ways. I
4: think, yes, yeah, for yeah, maybe, perhaps, so on some days. But I think overall, you know, at the core of that was we we had each other as industry uh, partners, as colleagues, and uh, we just rallied. and And I think that was that was the key. We stuck together and remained optimistic. and there not not to say there weren't some dark days. There were for sure. But uh, you know, at the end of the day. We we persevered and, and here we are today actually battling a, a different battle of sorts we're, for the most part through COVID and the pandemic but the after effects that we discussed that we had concern that it was going to you know last two three four you know up to a five year recovery from um, from where we were and so now we're seeing some of the uh, some of the fallout uh, impact us in different ways today so I think we have to stay engaged we have to remain optimistic continue to you know to encourage each other and i know with uh Billy downs coming on and uh you know paul wieger and gene and and uh, the the folks that we have uh coming onto the board the new executive committee chairs i'm as optimistic as i've ever been we have great leadership in the future uh what you guys are doing in lansing there is just incredible as as yesterday that proved to us once again so I think there's lots of reason to remain very optimistic about our industry.
0: Absolutely. Totally agree. And I think that one thing that remains stable through, you know, everything over the last few years and and everything in the future is the leadership of our chair and our board um, helps guide this industry in Michigan to uh, a brighter future, no matter what, or no matter how difficult it might seem. So to turn the page a little bit here paul one of the parts of your bio when i was crafting it for this interview that emotionally catches me every time i think it does a little bit justin too is the last line you know where you talk about your wife sue and the inspiration she is to you and then your four children and your favorite titles being dad and grandpa so you're truly i mean through any conversation with you paul it's you're truly a family man through and through and that that resonates um just in conversation so was it a coincidence or intention that both of the major hospitality groups that you've worked for in your career were family-based? And why was that, if it was intentional, so important to you?
4: Yeah. Thanks, Emily, for, you know, for those comments. And, and, uh, and you're right. It, um, that evolved. That, that wasn't, again, it wasn't a plan, you know, that was, that was written that I'm going to, you know, stick with family business and, and uh, that's what I want to be a part of. It, it, it just kind of evolved that way. But I think it goes back to, and, and you mentioned also the leadership. And before I answer the question directly, yeah, you mentioned the leadership that's been common uh, with our association. And, and that goes back to uh, uh, to the time when I came on the board. And it seems like so long ago now. But the, the folks that have chaired this organization, I, I did call on them and, and had some conversations, and they were also, they they lent their experience, their wisdom, they were encouraging, supportive, and, you know, some of them have been off the board for a little while, remaining active, but off the board for a little while, certainly uh, some of them have been several years outside their chairmanship, and uh, that continuity that, that you just mentioned was very uh, important to me. Uh, as, as those folks were very supportive over time. So, you know, thanks for bring, bringing that up. And that kind of lends itself to the whole family thing, too. I've been part of a family business, actually, since I can remember. My grandparents on my mom's side owned a grocery store when I was a kid. And my cousins and I worked there from the time we could count to 10. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we would do various, you know, uh, various things in the store. And that was a big day for us. I think uh, grandpa paid us a dollar a day. And uh, that was a good, uh, that was a good wage. One, we were satisfied with then, believe it or not. I, I, it may have been minimum wage, actually. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but it was it was just kind of part of my DNA. But beyond that, you know, the family structure and appreciation for each other, you know, listening to each other's viewpoints, you, you know, how families function uh, makes for a strong foundation to, to how, uh, how to run a business, especially small business especially a hospitality business. So you need to be able to, you know, relate to people, work with people, understand and support your kids, your spouse, your, your in-laws, whoever it may be in, in, in much the same way you do uh, your employees. So, you know, with similar uh, scenarios and situations, but I guess above all, and you, you referred to it, you know, when, when my wife Sue was uh, first diagnosed uh, with cancer and, you know, that's obviously anybody uh, that's dealt with that, either personally or with a loved one knows how devastating that can be, that uh, that news. And then um, to watch her courageous battle and, and uh, actually beat, beat cancer uh, three times now, it's been, you know, it's been nearly 15 years. And her absolute persistence, her positive attitude uh, kind of, you know, left me in a position, what uh, you know what's what's the big deal? I mean, you beat cancer three times. Who can't take on a pandemic? For crying out loud! Right. So she's always been an inspiration. She always will be. Uh, watching how the kids handled that and their encouragement, their courage as as just kids then, uh, they're grown adults now. But uh, that's that's always been a, a big part of who I am and and uh, an inspiration for me. But thanks for asking that. I appreciate that very much. Mm-hmm. Sue
1: Hess is a saint. One of my favorite people uh, on earth, let alone tied to the MRLA board. Um, I'm glad we got a chance to to talk about here, you guys have a very special relationship, and it shows beyond beyond the words. It shows every time you guys are together at any one of the events we have together. And my wife and I literally have this conversation. We hope, you know, we hope we have that kind of relationship and that close and tight knit a family like the Hess family has. Uh, so I'm willing to take any uh, any secrets you have to, to how to make that work. But you you guys have been an inspiration to watch, so I appreciate that.
4: Thanks, Justin. I I appreciate that. And there's only one secret and it's two words, yes, dear.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, let me write that down, actually.
0: I like that (laughs) advice. (laughs) Introducing Healthy Hospitality, a curated suite of wellness solutions negotiated exclusively for hospitality and brought to you by the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. What began with savings on United Healthcare employer-sponsored benefits has now expanded to include our suite of inclusive, accessible, convenient wellness solutions to incorporate medical, mental, and social wellness solutions for your full-time, part-time, 1099, and seasonal team members. Healthy Hospitality makes it easy and inexpensive to offer your team access to services and solutions that will help make you an employer of choice. Visit healthy-hospitality.org to learn more.
1: <laughs> All right, Paul, we're going to get you out of here on the lightning round, the newly revamped lightning round. So hopefully Emily gave you some of these in advance. If not, you know, we'll, we'll get through it together. First time round.
4: All right. Well, let's go for it.
0: I think I did. I hope I did. All right. Lightning round 2023. What is your favorite style of pizza?
1: You are not obligated to
4: say Detroit style, but you can say Detroit style. I won't just because it's Neapolitan. I got to go thin crust margarita, no doubt. Oh, nice. Good choice. Strong, strong choice.
0: What is your, I can probably guess this one, but what is your go-to cocktail or adult
1: beverage after a rough day?
4: You did guess it, Emily, I'm sure, because uh, it's well-known and it's the classic old-fashioned.
1: The The official drink of the MRLA Board of Directors, <laughs> brought it, to you by is.
4: Woodford. We, we are fueled by it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so true.
0: Garner's great results, so.
1: All right, in your household, this is a debate always. Emily and I always debate this. What is the streaming platform? Is it Netflix? Is it Apple TV? What is the one that gets the most use in your household?
4: You know, and so, so uh, two years ago, the answer would have been different because uh, four grandchildren during uh, the last two years, during my chairmanship, has kind of changed that a little bit. But so it's now Disney Plus. But
2: oh. uh, prior to
4: that, and I didn't watch a lot of TV, but prior to that, probably Amazon Prime. I uh, love their content. Oh,
1: good stuff there. Listen, yeah. strongly recommend Bluey. If you're going to be watching Disney Plus, I find myself sometimes watching without the kids even there. It's that good.
4: I <laughs> Love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, last one, and of course, you know, I I, I threw this one in there. Uh, we've got some some that are close. So this has been a debate for a long time in Detroit. Which Detroit sports team do you think are you willing to put on the line will make the playoffs first?
4: Well, so Justin, I know you're a hoops guy, but I'm sorry. It ain't the Pistons. <laughs> it won't be the Pistons. And then I'm optimistic uh, about the Wings, although the pros are giving them uh, at less than a 5% shot this year. So, uh, but I love what Stevie's doing. Hopefully the Tigers can. Last year was disappointing, so hopefully they can turn that around. So I'm also optimistic about the Tigers, but you know, at the end of the day, and for somebody who's been watching the Lions since I was a little kid, I can't believe I'm saying this, but <laughs> I got to go with the Lions. I got to go with the Lions. Love Dan Campbell, what he's done with the team, and uh, I, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting year next year.
1: I tend to agree and never would have thought. I, I literally, I think put the lines forth when I started doing this question two or three years ago. Uh, sure. I think, I think they've, I think they got the team to go. All right. Paul You're Hess, fine. thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your time today. And thank you for setting a good example, a great example, frankly, for all those who are going to come after you in terms of leadership uh, on our board of
4: directors. Thank you, Paul. Thank you both very much. Good to spend a little time with you. We'll see you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Paul i uh-huh.